This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Charter schools may have fared better than expected in the 2020 general election at a time when teacher unions have been mounting strenuous criticisms of charters and the Democratic Party has been turning more solidly against their expansion, the outcome of the election was surprisingly favorable to their perpetuation and probably expansion. The president-elect, Joe Biden, has always been supportive of charters and he didn't say anything in the campaign that indicated he had changed his mind. And meanwhile, the Senate, while still up for grabs, is expected to remain in pro-charter Republican hands, and the supporters in the House may have even made some gains. So what's more important, their supporters have remained solidly in place in state legislative races and actually made some gains at that level as well, and that's where a lot of the decisions are being made. But still, despite all this, uh, trends over the past several years, the past several years have been difficult times for charters. Uh, Despite solid evidence that the quality of the schooling in the charter sector is improving at a more rapid rate than in the public sector, so this antagonism towards charters is difficult to understand, but the evidence keeps piling up. And in a recently released study by Patrick Wolf and three additional authors, Uh, The report's entitled Charter School Funding Inequity Surges in the Cities. These scholars have shown that the funding levels for urban charter schools is tripling that of district schools by an ever-increasing margin. To discuss the study, I'm delighted to have with me today on the Education Exchange, Patrick Wolf, professor in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas. So thank you, uh, Patrick, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Happy to be here, Paul. Well, so what is the bottom line finding from your study? How how would you summarize your your key results? Our first finding is that the funding of students in public charter schools is not equal to the funding of students in district-run traditional public schools that on a per pupil basis, students in charter schools receive a a third less total funding than students in traditional public schools. And we, through additional analysis, were able to establish that this inequality is actually an inequity. That is, it is unjustifiable and therefore unjust based on uh, the differences in relative need of the students who attend public charter schools compared to TPS. Well, so, but you didn't look at charter schools across the country. You looked at charter schools in a number of metropolitan areas. Um, so it, how, how many metropolitan areas did you look at this uh, situation? Yes, Paul, we we examined the disparities in funding of public charter school students in 18 cities across the country with substantial uh, charter school populations. So you mentioned here cities and I said metropolitan areas and I'm a little confused on this point because the title of your report says cities but actually I think you say metropolitan area. So are the suburbs included in this analysis or are they not? Only in one city, uh, Paul. We we examined the funding gap in Shelby County, Tennessee, uh, 
the the public school districts in Tennessee are county based. So, uh, you know, Memphis, the city of Memphis is in Shelby County and that city and its surrounding suburbs are included in, in our analysis. So basically, if it wasn't for Shelby County, you know, we, we really would be talking about cities, uh, but, but that's the one exception. And that's why we, we generally use the terminology metropolitan areas. So in other words, it's the school district that serves the largest central city within a metropolitan area. And it may be in some cases broader than the city itself, but basically you choose the school district that's serving the central city in every metropolitan area. That is correct. And then basically we include any public charter schools within the jurisdiction of the largest uh, district run um, school system in the city uh, as the comparison group. A lot of district schools have legacy costs and they can be pretty high. I mean, like 10 to 15% go to pensions and a lot of additional costs go to pay for healthcare benefits, which may be just as much. And isn't this really the big difference between charter school costs and district costs? And don't districts just literally have to have that if they're gonna have operational funds available for the contemporary students that they need. Well, Paul, you know, our study is a revenue study and, and we are going to follow it up with a careful examination of the expenditure patterns of charters versus uh, traditional public schools. But in a certain sense, you know, uh, funding is funding and, and, you know, the decision makers uh, involved in setting policy for district public schools ha have established these legacy costs. They offered these benefits to entice talented teachers to come teach in their districts. So charter schools could have done that as well, but they, they took a different path. So, you know, I mean, I think in a certain sense, um, you know, the, the legacy costs that the traditional public schools bear now are just are just part of the of the decisions, the managerial decisions and the policy decisions that they've made. And I think, you know, to exclude all of the ways that traditional public schooling is more expensive than charter schooling and then say it's not more expensive is, you know, is is it is a little silly. We we try to be as expansive as possible. We look, we try, we trace all the revenues that go to both types of public schools, and we demonstrate that that substantially less revenue is going to to public charter schools. Well, that's that. I can understand why you did that, but I, I, you could also say that if you're going to make a case to a, a state legislature and you say, well, you know, we we're just you're going to have to these schools are going to have to bear the cost of the bad decisions that were made 20, 30 years ago. And, and there's nothing that can be done about these legacy costs. I mean, how's that going to be an effective political argument? <laughs> well, uh, 
you know, it's, it's not really my role to make a political argument, Paul. I know we're both political scientists, uh, but, but, you know, we are, we are hard-nosed empiricists, too, and, and we're just looking at the numbers and, and laying them out. Um, you know, the gap of $7,800 per student, the average disparity in the funding of charter school students in these cities of $7,800 per student per year, yes, you know, some of that could be explained by, by pension obligations and, uh, and other sort of benefits uh, provided to, to students, to teachers in district schools, but, but not all of it will be explained by that. That's a big gap. That's a big funding difference. And it, yeah, and I, think, it, I think pension costs come to around 1500 bucks per student, as I recall. And, and maybe you'd have to add some more in for, for healthcare, but it, it, it's definitely less than the 7,500 that you're, that you're talking about there. But now you selected certain uh, cities here for this. So how did you decide to pick these cities instead of other cities? What was the criteria that you used to choose your sample sure i mean our main criteria was that the the city had a substantial public charter school um sector you know that's where where public charter schooling is is really a substantial uh, portion of the public schooling delivered to students that was our main criteria and then beyond that we we, we looked for diversity a geographic diversity so we, you know we look at cities in all four regions of the country and uh and also somewhat size diversity i mean we have some small smallish cities in our sample and also you know the largest cities new york city los angeles and chicago are are in our sample as well so so the one unifying theme is a substantial charter school presence and then beyond that we we sought uh cities that that really sort of completed the picture of the public the urban public school uh public charter school sectors uh across the country well i i can see what you did but doesn't this open you up to the criticism that you may have picked the places that you that would give you the biggest disparities and that why didn't you just take the 50 top cities with the largest concentration of charter schools or have some basic criterion like that to use as your as your as your basis for selecting cities sure well you know that would that would reduce our external validity if we only went with the largest uh, cities, then we can only uh, apply our, our findings to, to very large cities. Well, and, the ones with the largest share of charters. Since you okay. wanted to choose, uh, you know, cities with charters, uh, why not pick the ones that have the most charters and, and look at those? Again, then, you know, we, we couldn't speak to situations where there's a modest but growing public charter sector in a, in a city. So we, we really, we wanted to collect information about as many of these cities as possible. And we didn't know at the front end, you know, which, which cities were going to have the, the largest uh, disparities, which cities might actually demonstrate um, a charter school funding advantage. In, in previous studies, we have found the occasional city uh, generally in in Tennessee um, that 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 actually where 
charter school students actually were funded on a slightly higher per pupil basis than than TPS. So we didn't we didn't really know what we'd find and, until we looked. And and these are the 18 cities that we felt you know best captured the the sector. And and an, another reason is is that. Uh, some folks on the research team have been studying some of these cities for for two decades and continuing to examine them using the same methodology means that we can generate longitudinal results. We can look at changes over time. Um, and Well, that's and interesting. So how much of a change over time are you observing? So in the eight cities that we have tracked since 2003, uh, the size of the charter school funding gap has doubled in real dollars uh, across those uh, those uh, 17 years. So, so you know, for for those cities, it's it's you know the gap's getting worse uh, every time we look at it, and and much of that increase has come just in the last two years, from from 2016 to 2018, which is the last section in our time series. Uh, a time when the Trump administration was was promoting public charter schools, we actually saw the gap in funding in these cities uh, grow between the tr the district run public schools and and public charters. Well, a gap will grow sort of automatically as the cost of education rises, and the cost of education has risen over this period. So, this is in dollar terms, but how about percentage terms? Is that gap grown as well? Uh, in percentage terms, yes, that this is the largest gap. 33% funding gap is the largest gap that uh, our research team has ever uncovered. Uh, in the past, the gaps usually averaged uh, from 19% to 27%. They would bounce around that range year over year. Um, and this is the single largest gap that we found, which is why we describe the funding disparity as surging. So it so 19 to 33 that's a big shift but you have different cities this time so is that in the same cities it's going from 19 to 33 or is this because you brought in some other examples into your uh, survey sure you know even when we just look at the cities we've tracked over time uh, it's still it the gap is still higher highest in the 2018 data than in any of our previous studies. And, and in those cities, it's increased by how much? Uh, so since, since uh, 2013, it's increased, the gap has increased by 28%. And since 2003, it's increased by 104% in real yeah. dollar terms. Okay. so. Um, how about the uh, argument that, okay, the district schools have all the special education children or a higher percentage of them and more people eligible for free and reduced lunch and more students in English language learner programs. They just have more needs. So if they have more needs, they need more resources. Sure, that's a really important argument. And that gets to the point of, is an inequality truly an inequity? Uh, and so we examine that first. We, we chart the uh, student demographics 
of the students in the district run public schools compared to the public charter schools in our sample. Actually, uh, the public charter schools enroll a higher proportion of low income students than the district schools. So it's not low income students that are justifying this discrepancy. Uh, when you look at English language learners, uh, the the proportion is 18% in the traditional public schools, 14% in the charter schools. So that's a difference of about four percentage points. But the funding for English language learners is really not that substantial. So so that four percentage point gap could not really explain you know this 33% funding gap that we uncover. So then we look at uh, at students with disabilities and the district run schools in our sample enroll 16% of their students are our students with disabilities compared to 13% in the public charter school. So that's a three percentage point gap. Students with disabilities do um, require substantial amounts of additional funding and there are special revenue streams for them. So we look at whether or not uh, this discrepancy in enrolling students with special needs explains away most or all of the gap. We do it in two different ways. The first way is we exclude all spending on special education from both school sectors, the traditional sector and the, and the charter school sector. And we find that that, that only um, explains about 17% of the charter school funding gap across our cities. It does explain the entire gap in two of our cities. Uh, Is that 17% of the 33%? Is that like, you cut it's, it in half? No, no, it's actually 17% of the 7,800 per student is accounted for by special education spending. Uh, so that would only be a few percentage points of the 33% the gap. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in Shelby County, Tennessee, and in Boston, Massachusetts, the gap is completely explained by differentials in special education funding. So for two of the 18 cities, special ed is the reason for the difference. For the other 16, it's, it's not. And, and then we go further, Paul, and we, we run a regression uh, controlling for the uh, student demographics of the various uh, school sectors, the 36 school sectors in our study. And those demographics are free and reduced price lunch, uh, English language learners, and, and uh, students with disabilities. And we find that controlling for different patterns of enrollment uh, of those three categories of disadvantage only reduces the charter school funding gap by a third. So it, it, it takes a, a third uh, out of, of that gap, leaving uh, about $4,500 in, in a gap that's not explained at all by differential enrollment of, of students with, with disadvantages. Well, another issue that comes up, though, is transportation. And if I can use the Boston example, because I know it best, uh, there the district has to pay for the transportation of all the kids, whether they're going to private schools or whether they're going to charter schools or whether they're going to district schools. All of that is loaded onto the district payroll. So um, 
I don't know if that how widespread that is, if that's true in other cities, but certainly you could hardly blame the district for spending more if they've got to transport all the kids, no matter which sector they go to. Have, have you, you know, sort of taken that factor into account? Yes, Paul. Uh, the, several of our cities in our sample, the traditional public school system provides transportation to charter school students, and that's all documented. And we uh, we we account for that as an in-kind service being provided to the uh, public charter school students. So we take the resources you know, the, the per student resources spent on transportation that the, the district schools are providing and we transfer that amount into the charter school side of the ledger. So, so when, when districts are providing, are getting funded to provide services to charter school students, we flag that and we move those revenue from the district side to the charter side. So, so we do we do account for these cases where where districts are providing services to charter school students and 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 you know account account for that in our analysis. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the explanations that are out there would say, oh yeah, but the district provides a lot of services to the charter schools, and that's not being accounted for in this thing, but. But you've made every effort to account for any services that the charter schools are getting from the school district. We we are we are Paul as long as it's documented, you know, and and public school districts are very good at documenting, you know, the the services they're providing and the costs and who those services are going to. So we feel confident that we've captured uh, the overwhelming majority of those cases where districts are providing in kind services to charter students. I mean, another great example of that is facilities. When uh, districts are sharing their, their school facilities with public charter schools, that's all documented and we, we account for the value of those facilities on the charter school side. Well, how about um, the private money that charter schools, charter schools uh, get foundation support and there, there's all kinds of, of uh, campaign, uh, you know, try to raise, fundraising efforts are made by charter schools and so forth. Uh, so does that, doesn't that make up the difference between the charter and the, and the district sector? That's an excellent question, Paul, and we look very carefully at that. You know, the charter schools and district schools have to report all of their uh, non-public funds. These are student fees, fundraisers and and uh, grants from major philanthropies that all has to be reported and we document that in our study and actually find that on a per pupil basis uh, students in district run public schools receive more of these uh, extra funds from philanthropies and student fees and such than uh, public charter school students do uh, it's actually a, a, an advantage of $1,400 a student in these non-public, this non-public funding of students in, in urban areas. Uh, and in a follow-up study, we're going to, we're going to disaggregate, dis disentangle those different types of non-public resources, student fees versus school fundraisers versus uh, 
versus uh, philanthropy and 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 see how those different streams vary across the traditional public and and charter sectors but but in in fiscal year 2018 in these 18 cities uh, the the district public school sector actually got more non-public funding than charters did well that's probably one of the important findings from your study because one of the things I hear most often is that charter schools don't need so much money because they're getting so much more support from the private sector. Uh, right. I mean, we, we did a deep dive into the data, the 2011 uh, school funding data on this question, Paul, and we found that, that two-thirds of the public charter schools in our sample re didn't receive a dollar of philanthropy in 2011 that one third of the charters got all of the contributions uh, and and so you know this is this is a classic myth you know that charter schools are are swimming in philanthropic funds a you know district schools get a lot of philanthropy too uh, and b the bottom line is is uh, non-public funds only provide like 12 to 17% of total school funding in, in urban areas. So, so, you know, the public funds are, are everything else, you know, around 85% comes from public funding. That's the whole game. And there's just no way that philanthropy can make up for a large gap in the public funding of students based on which public school sector they go to. Well, yeah, I think that's a really interesting fact. Uh, so some people say, though, that uh, charter schools get monies from regional CMOs and there's some of this philanthropy isn't really accounted for in the books. Is it, are you confident you picked up all that private philanthropy? Uh, yes, yes, we are, Paul, because, you know, we track, th this, is, this is all stuff that um, charter schools have to report in their, in their audited financial statements when they receive services or funds from another organization, like a charter management organization. They have to report that in their statements, in their audited financial statements. We review those to make sure we're capturing all of the flows of revenue into the charter schools in 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 our cities uh, so so we're confident we're capturing that source of revenue as well there are lots of, of, of critics are out there for anything that has to do with charters and and they'll say oh yeah but you know this this team has just made up these numbers how 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 well have you documented this can somebody come in behind you and replicate your study or or is this too hard to replicate uh, Paul, yes, we we have an appendix where we list all of the sources for our data, and basically uh, our data come from two general sources. One is a verified, accurate state uh, school funding databases. So these are provided by the state governments. Um, and secondly, as I mentioned, you know these audited financial statements that uh, public charter schools have to produce. Uh, that's another major source uh, of our data. These are these are highly reliable and comprehensive sources of information about the revenues that go into schools. Now, when when other researchers have 
claim that they can't replicate our data, it's because they look at expenditures. They don't look at revenues. They look at, at, at the spending patterns of traditional public versus charter schools. And the data they rely on has been curated. You know, there's, as, as uh, school spending data goes up, the, the chain of, of, of command in the public school system, certain categories get taken out, get excluded. Uh, and so when you're looking at expenditure data, it's, it's incomplete. It doesn't include all the dollars that have So gone what is it that gets taken out when, in the expenditure side? They'll, they'll exclude uh, legacy costs, pension payments. Uh, they'll exclude transportation. Um, they'll exclude uh, uh, some of the of, uh, facilities costs and and revenue that that, that supports buildings um, through through bond issuance. So in some cases, the entire capital side of the budget is excluded. Uh, we we look at revenues and we include everything. And, and we feel that that's the most justifiable way to go. It's transparent, it can be replicated, but it can't be replicated if you draw upon data sources that have been curated, where, where, where entire categories of revenue and expenditures have been excluded. Well, this is a fascinating study, uh, uh, Patrick. I think it's a, a major contribution to our understanding of the differences between the two sectors, uh, you know, we all look at achievement data and, and that's very important too, but uh, it's, it's, it's good to know exactly what resources are available to uh, schools in the district sector. And I think you've made a, a, a huge contribution here to our understanding. So thank you very much for uh, sharing this with me on the Education Exchange today. You're certainly welcome, Paul. I've had with me on the Education Exchange, Patrick Wolf, a professor in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas and a co-author of a new report entitled Charter School Funding and Equity Surges in the Cities. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.